apostolic, prophetic, Pastor Andre, but that certainly doesn't mean the, the anointing and the giftings of God. They don't all travel in one person. They don't just come and go to and fro. God's placed in the body of Christ men and women that are gifts of God. That's what Ephesians 4 calls the ministries. And I'm going to trust through the preaching today that the prophetic gift, the pastoral gift, the teaching gift is all woven in one and that your heart is deeply stirred by the Word of God. The passage of Scripture that we're going to be in today is a passage that I have chosen. I may not get all the way to the end of it because it's the 17 verses of the third chapter of 2 Timothy. This is a text of Scripture towards the end that I've chosen in my new role of teaching the men at the other side. And uh, I was actually in this particular passage of Scripture this past week. And it's just, uh, there's a stimulus in my heart towards this entire context. Not just a few verses, but the context that was created here. And so I just want to, by standing, what we're doing is we're honoring the Word of God that we're going to kind of read verse by verse and work our way down just a little bit. As you do, I'm going to just ask you to ask this question in your mind. Is there a correlation? That's the question I want you to just begin to pose to yourself as we begin to look at this text where Paul writes to Timothy here and ask if the exhortation that Paul is giving to Timothy that was for a period of time 2,000 years ago, is there a correlation to the times in which we live in today? And let's ask the Holy Spirit to just uh, reveal that answer to us as the Word of God comes forward. That's fair today, don't you think? Father, we love you. We've humbled ourselves in this house. We're grateful for a privileged opportunity to read the Word of God. We remember, Father, the pattern that was set for us in the days of Nehemiah. Father, for when Ezra the priest was given the podium, the Scripture says as he opened the book, the people stood. The people have stood today to honor the Word of God. We pray that as we read it today, it will be an enlightenment to our eyes. It will be spiritual nourishment to our soul. I pray, Father, privately. I prayed this privately. Now I pray it publicly. And that is, let preaching come easy today, Father. Make me as the oracles of God. And I pray the hearts of people to be challenged by what they hear today, God. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. Thank you so much. And you can be seated. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your commitment to the Word of God, to both preaching and teaching, and your desire and your hunger to grow in grace and to grow in godliness. This passage of Scripture is a passage of Scripture, certainly, that I've studied very uh, purposely over the many years that I've now been preaching and pastoring because Paul writes to Timothy. Paul defines Timothy as his own son in the faith. And so this is a mentor writing to the young minister that he loves passionately and dearly. Paul's time with Timothy is limited. Paul knows that his time, if we to read in the fourth chapter, Paul is acutely aware the time of his departure is near. The Lord, by the Holy Spirit, has revealed to the Apostle Paul that he's not going to be living much longer. And as in doing so, the Apostle is emboldened to pass a mandate to Timothy. Timothy is not only, the, he's not the only son of the faith, there's a multitude of sons. If you had the knowledge that you weren't going to live very long, you would do the same thing. You would contact the people that you love dearly. And you would want to pass your spiritual DNA as deeply into them as you could. You'd want to challenge them. And Paul does so throughout this epistle. Now, in this third chapter, there's a little bit of a shift that he makes. And I want to begin to pick it up. Where Paul says this, know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Anytime you see the term last days, you can rest assured that there is a 
a pantheon of things that begins to go off, triggers, mechanisms in our mind when we see those two words, last days. We have different theological thought processes, different things go off as we relate to what does the last days mean. Um, some certainly believe that the, that the church is, uh, we are imminently living in the moment immediately prior to the return of Christ. Some believe that that was for the past, don't necessarily know. That's, what, that's their perspective. Some ask this question, did the last days mean the last days of the temple? Did it mean the last days of Judaism? Did it mean the last days of the Roman Empire? Did it mean the last days of the Old Covenant? Or did it mean the last days that would, the world would be in prior to the return of Jesus Christ? Again, there is such a differ, differing viewpoint or points of view across the spectrum of the body of Christ. It's not my desire to jump into that. I don't know. I, I'm not somebody that can stand up here and tell you that, man, this, that, that, that Jesus is going to come on this certain time. You know, the Bible exhorts me to be watchful and always be ready. That's what I've taught from the entire time that I've been a pastor, and that's the time that, that I'm going to. But I will say this. I do believe that as I read this particular passage, not the other passages that are most often used, but when I read this passage, I see a correlation to the, this exhortation and the times that I'm living in. I see it, and I see it as something that stirs me to be aware because Paul said that there would be perilous times, dangerous times, times that are erratic Times where uh, things can, can, can happen suddenly and swift change can come. And Paul begins to give Timothy a little bit of a picture of the men and women that he is saying is going, that these, this group of men and women are going to be living in this particular time frame. And he begins to define them. And let's just look at them very quickly. And again, we're just asking, is there a correlation? Paul said to Timothy, he said, men are going to be lovers of their own selves. They're going to be so conceited. They're going to be in love with their own passionate pursuits that sometimes that they will lay aside uh, the, 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 the right things and the provision of their family to satisfy and gratify their own selfish pursuits. Paul said it would be a covetous people, the people that would be desiring and, and, and lusting for things. He said they're boasters, which means, again, proud and arrogant blasphemers, people that are unafraid to blaspheme the name of God. To take that holy name and to curse that holy name of God. He said they would be disobedient to parents. Unthankful. A generation that doesn't thank God. I tell you what, every day that you get up, if you've got breath in your lungs, you, uh, even if you're not saved, let me tell you, if you're not saved, you ought to be the most thankful person alive. Why? Because God gave you one more day, one more breath, one more moment to get your heart right with Him and not step into eternity without God. Yeah, so you ought to be thankful today. So even if you reject my preaching today, when you get ready to carve that turkey in two weeks, you better be, as you carve it, you better stop and say, God, I thank you that I got one more day. Because let me tell you, you don't want to step into eternity without faith in God. So Paul is telling us that we're living in a generation of unthankful men and women. Let's just kind of, I won't take the time to dialogue with all of it, but it paints a, a, a pretty bleak picture. He said there are unholy 
they are men that are without natural affection. I'll tell you what, that's scary right there. It means that there are, there are those among us that are inhumane, hard-hearted. Uh, they have lost their, their virtue to even their own kindred. Hard-hearted people in our generation. He said uh, that they are truce breakers. Now, in the original language, the word truce breaker here means that they will not enter into a covenant. And if they do, then many times that they will break it easily. If you want to be honest, I think that we could see that and make it applicable to the breakdown of marriage and the marriage covenant that we have in these United States, where folks will come together. And now listen, I know anytime you say this to Pastor Brown, be very careful because I've invited somebody. Listen, I love everybody, and I want everybody to have a warm place at this church, but we're not going to water down the truth. I don't care who you bring in this house. I'm just telling you that today. Just because we speak the truth doesn't mean we don't do so without love and compassion. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, we love you far more than you, that, that church that's going to water down the gospel, that's not going to pierce your old hardened heart, and that's going to allow you to sit there in their church without conviction in your spirit. And so we're going to love you enough. I'm telling you, we're living in a dangerous time because people are setting aside the virtue and the value of the covenant of marriage, and they want, they want, to, they want to enter into sexual intimacy with each other without the commitment of marriage. And unfortunately, even sometimes when they do, then it doesn't take them long with this little thing, and then they'll back away, and they'll just tear it up and go do their own thing. It's a dangerous time. It's the breakdown of the family right here. It's, it's being written right in this very passage of Scripture. He said there are false accusers. Don't even get us started with that. The news media even. Come on now. We, we have people that will stand up and raise their hand and testify that they, this happened when that did not happen. But if it means make their political agenda, then they don't care. Yeah, I said it right there. Whether y'all pay me or not, I don't care. I'm going to do this next Sunday. That place can be empty, there'll be no paycheck. Pastor Brown will be right here on this platform preaching the truth of the Word of God. And so in this passage right here, we challenge ourselves. He said, uh, as it goes on down, he said they are false accusers. They're uh, incontinent, which simply means without self-control. Uh, men and women without the ability to just say, you know what, I want to control my actions and my course of actions whether it be anger or whether it be my other emotions or my desires. He said there would be fierce. And again, I can't break these all down, even though I did in my own personal study, but time doesn't allow me. It's just simply Paul's putting a little picture here, and I'm asking, is there a correlation? But notice this one. I'll tell you, this is one that just pierces my heart because he's saying there's going to come a time when there are going to be those that will despise those that are good. So if you have virtue, if you have righteousness in your heart, if you've got true faith, there are going to be those that are going to despise you because you're walking in communion with God. And you know the reason why they despise you is because you are the smell of death to them. That's what the Bible says, that we are the smell of life and we're the smell of death. We're the light that shines into the darkness. And when you're around them, it reminds them that they're a sinner and they need a Savior, but their heart is blinded by the deceitfulness of this age. And so they despise you because you have your communion with God. But here's the good news. They can come out of that darkness. They can come out if they'll put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and believe in Him and in His grace. But Paul's warning us that just because you do good things doesn't mean that people are going to pat you on the back and tell you how good you are. 
Some are going to despise you because you are doing those good things. There'll be those that are traitors, he said. Heady, high-minded, familiar to us here, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Paul went on to say in this next verse, look at this, the fifth verse. They will have a form of godliness. Does it mean that this particular group of people are afraid to call themselves Christians? Does it mean that this is a people group that's afraid to go to church? Does it mean that this is a people group that's afraid to practice under some type of a religious expression? But here the Bible says, the Apostle Paul writing says, they will have a form of godliness, but they deny the true power of the gospel. When you deny the, uh, the, the, the invading work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, when you reject, when you reject the, 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 the authority of the Word of God, then you may look like a believer, but I'm telling you that you have put your faith in a sinking sand rather than the truth of the Word of God. So Paul said, then he goes a little bit farther, and we're just walking this down. And I'm just asking you, is there a correlation? He said, of this and from this group are they which will creep into houses. And they'll lead captive silly women that are laden with sins, laden with sins. And he said, they'll be led away with divers lusts. There's a lot of things that go on behind closed doors by people that we think have a place of uh, prominence in our community, in our community of faith, that I'm telling you, what happens in secret is not secret because there's a God that sees, right? There's nothing that is hidden from his eyes. And Paul said in this passage, though, they're led away. Look at this. If this doesn't speak to us about a correlation of a time and a people that Paul is writing to in the context of our generation, he said they will be ever learning, caught up in a multitude of, of uh, discovery in the world of knowledge. He said they'll be ever learning, yet never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They'll be continually being exposed to all the academic studies of the day with new discoveries made and philosophies and all types of things are passed. We've got the internet and making available all this information and yet men and women are growing in knowledge. But Paul said, never yet able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And look at this. Again, now Paul here has painted a picture of what the life and the lifestyles and the personal worldview of what many will be like in this particular generation that he's warning Timothy is going to come. And then he said, let's put this in a contrast. He said, as Janice and Jambres withstood Moses. Who is that? Those are the magicians that are mentioned in the book of Exodus. They're not mentioned by name in the book of Exodus, but they're only mentioned in Jewish writings. That actually give them their name. But Paul here affirms that that were the, the, names, the, the names of at least two of the sorcerers. The Bible says the sorcerers and the magicians. Because you can remember the very first, especially the very first incident that took place when the prophet Moses has come from Mount Horeb with a burning word in his heart to tell Pharaoh that he's to let the people of God go. The scripture says plainly that God told Moses the sign that you have in your hand, the rod, is what you're going to repeat in Pharaoh's court. You may remember that standing there on the back of the mountain as the bush did burn but was not consumed, the Bible says that God told Moses to cast the rod on the ground. 
And when it was cast on the ground, it became a serpent, and Moses backed up in fear. And the Lord told him to stretch his hand down and catch hold of it. And when it did, it became a rod like uh, it became a rod again. And the Bible says that the Lord told Moses with signs like this, he said, that's how you're going to convince Pharaoh. And so the very first incident, Exodus tells us, and then you can see little bits and pieces of it after that in a little bit different uh, applications. But the very first incidents, the scripture says that when Pharaoh uh, said, well, who is the God that has commanded you? What are his signs that Moses did exactly as he was instructed? And he threw the rod on the ground and it became a serpent. Well, so Moses, or excuse me, Pharaoh called his Egyptians and he called his sorcerers and they uh, conjured up something. Let me tell you, there's a real power at work today. There's a demonic power. There's always been a dark underworld. There's always been demonic. The Holy Spirit is not the only spirit that's moving. And so the, the, the sorcerers conjured up and they cast their rods on the ground and they became serpents as well. Who are those sorcerers? Janies and Jambres. And the Bible says that they resisted Moses. But I love that narrative in the book of Exodus because it said that Moses' rod, the rod that became a serpent, that his serpent swallowed up, swallowed up the rod or the serpents of Janice and Jambres. But why is that important to us here today? Because for whatever reason, we have gone for the last 40 years in America, in the Christian community, thinking that we're never going to be faith, we're never going to face difficult days. Oh, it's going to happen in China. It's going to happen in North Korea. It's going to happen in a third world country. But we're going to sit up here on our pillow somewhere and we're going to watch it all unfold. But it seems to me that there's a shift taking place around us while the church sleeps and God is warning us that yes we too can live in perilous times and dangerous times and we need to be vigilant and we need to be sober and we need to stop playing games with God and playing games in the church but we need to be passionate about what we believe and we need an anointing upon our life that can face down the darkness of this age you don't have to be arrogant. You don't have to be uh, boisterous. Uh, but you can walk uh, humbly and graciously. And you can do so with the anointing of God upon your life. The Bible says of Moses uh, that he was the meekest man on the earth. But he was also the most anointed man on the earth. Man, that's good right there. That's not in the text, but I just felt like preaching it today. But look what Paul said. They're going to proceed no farther. Because their folly is going to be manifest unto all men, as also theirs was. Because as the plagues unfolded, eventually there came a moment when Pharaoh's Egyptians said, Well, I can do this, but I can't do that. That darkness has a limited power, but we've got an unlimited power source. I remember years ago reading about the writings of Dr. Lester Summerall. Dr. Sumrall, I mentioned him briefly on Sunday or Wednesday in our lesson. Dr. Sumrall, uh, I, I studied his books many years ago, not in a long time. Dr. Summerall preached in over 130 nations of the world, and many times this was in grassroots level confrontation with, I mean, not just, uh, not in these massive crusades where, where it's a well-known evangelist, but he was doing grassroots level just evangelism, and times there was just darkness, and there was, there was witch doctors and different things like that that took place, and somebody asked him, said, Dr. Summerall, so you've heard in this area right here about what's happening here, and one of their uh, magicians, uh, one of these witch 
witch doctors is claiming that he's got the ability under to a spell to float up off of the ground. Dr. Summerall, what would you do? And, and I heard him. It was actually on a testimony that I was watching many years ago. He said, I'd float too then. I'm telling you, we need a boldness. We need a boldness. They've got limited power. We've got the power of God on our lives. They've got fallen angels working with them. We've got angels strong and power and mighty on our behalf going in front of us and coming behind us. And we need to have the anointing of God on our lives. This next passage of Scripture, once again, a little bit of transition. Paul then tells Timothy, he said, now, Timothy, this is going to be the kind of people that, and this is going to be the community that you're going to find yourself in. But he's reminding Timothy of something. He's saying, but Timothy, he's saying, but let me tell you a little about, you remember my doctrine, Paul's doctrine, the doctrine of grace. He said, you know my manner of life. Let me ask you this. Are there people in your life that you can say they have influenced you? Who are you following? Everybody's following somebody. Everybody's got a mentor in their life, whether or not they're called mentors or not. Do you really know who's influencing your life? Are you, are you, are you astute enough as an individual in your communion with God that you simply say, if this person is casting this much negativity in my life, then I don't have time for it any longer? Because I'm going to only walk with and run with people that I know that I can emulate their experience and their faith in God. Man, I'm going to say that again because everybody must not have caught that. I'm on, I want to say this. Listen, you have to arrive at the place in your life where you just begin to, you begin to uh, do some type of registry, do some type of accounting of the people that are providing influence in your life. Because if they're influencing you negatively, now I'm not talking about on the job. Sometimes uh, there may be somebody around you that you can't get away from. But God sent you there to be the influencer to them. But I'm telling you on your conscious decisions, if you look at your own life and you say, you know what, you start finding that you are absorbing this person's mannerisms. You didn't used to cuss, but now you cuss because you ran with people that did cuss. You didn't used to drink, but now you drink because you're running with people that they don't think anything is wrong with it. Oh, it's getting real quiet in here, but I'm going to preach it anyhow. And so you start, you start evaluating your own life, and then if you start saying, you know what, these are the people that are influencing me. If you really want to have an anointing on your life, that's what I want. Every day that I get up in my expression of faith towards God, I say, God, the one thing that can separate me from the people that are around me is the anointing of God on my life. And if I live an unholy and an ungodly lifestyle, then I'll grieve and I'll quench the Spirit of God, and there'll be no distinction in my life. I believe in the name of Jesus that in the last time, that we're living in right now, God is going to raise up a group of men and women that are unashamed of their testimony of faith. They're unashamed of the anointing of God in their life. They're unashamed in what they believe. And they're willing to stand up and speak out against the darkness of the age in which we live in. Glory to God. I believe that. I believe that God's raising up a group of men and women that aren't going to sit at home and say, Lord, I'm afraid of the times that are around us, but rather we'll come up out of our closets emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit and ready to be a witness in the hour in which we live. That's why God's left you in the earth in perilous times, to be a light in the midst of darkness. And Paul told Timothy, he said, you already know how I live. You know my life, you know my purpose, you know my faith, and you know my long-suffering. 
You know my charity. He said, you know how I live my life, my patience. Let's go on a little farther. Look at this, though. I don't know if I'll get all the way to the 17. That's only six verses, I might, or, or eight verses. Look what he said. Persecutions and afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Stop right there for a minute. This is a powerful passage here because this is one of the few passages where we can actually take and compare Scripture with Scripture in Paul's life because Paul is referring to what's known as his first missionary journey. And when he's left Antioch of Syria, he's gone northward into Asia Minor. And Paul is making his journey, and he's preaching the gospel. He's been emboldened by God, and Barnabas is his partner. It's in the 14th chapter of the book of Acts that records this particular uh, incident. And let me go ahead and just kind of break it down for you just real quickly of what took place. At Antioch, before we read four verses of Scripture from that passage... At Antioch, the Bible says, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the honorable men or the honorable women and the chief men of the city. Isn't it amazing that the most outspoken voices against Christianity today are coming to us from Hollywood elitists, spoiled uh, sports uh, performers, hello somebody, right, or or, uh, the music world, right? I'm telling you, and because they think because they've got stardom, they've got a voice. And while we're afraid to lift up our voices, listen, that we don't have stardom, but we do have the star. Come on, we may not have stardom, but we've got the day star. He dawned in our heart. We've got a boldness and an authority in our life, and we've got to be willing to speak out the truth because it's only the truth that's going to set people free. It's not the playing church. It's not passing a cross over them or sprinkling them with holy water or asking them to come and sit in our padded seats while we preach a compromised message to them. But rather, it's when we speak the truth of the Word of God. That's what's going to change the hearts and lives of men and women. And Paul was unashamed, and he went to Antioch, and he preached the truth as a result of unbelieving Jews. So they raised persecutions against him, and they expelled them out of their city. People are losing their job in our generation because of their faith in God. Entire communities of faith are being persecuted right here, not in the third world countries, not in Russia, not in uh, North Korea, but right here in the good old United States of America. Persecutions are beginning to mount. Paul and Barnabas were expelled from their city, so they went to Iconium. I'm sure they did exactly what Jesus said. They shook the dust off of their feet, and they went to the next city. So at Iconium, though, after some initial success, unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, made their minds evil against the brethren. They planned to assault them and to use them spitefully, even to stone them, and so they had to flee, and they went to Lystra. At Lystra, there was a mighty miracle of faith at Lystra. And as a result, the Jews that were in Antioch and Iconium followed Paul to Lystra and there once again persuaded the people. They stoned Paul, they took him outside the city gate, and they left him for dead. And they walked away, and there was a small group of believers that were standing around. And right there, as the apostle Paul, I'm going to tell you, he wasn't left for dead, he was dead. You don't, you don't, you don't survive a stoning like that. It wasn't that he was just knocked out unconscious. He was dead. 
There was no life uh, blood inside him. But then the Spirit of God raised him up. You know why? Because I guarantee you that group of men and women that were gathered around him were calling upon the name of Jesus. And they were crying out to God for his mighty intervention. And that man Paul got up out of the dust and shook himself off and went back into the city. Now listen to this. Here's what's exciting. I think we can pick it up here in the 20th verse of the 14th chapter. It's four verses. I wanted to interject this real quickly. So when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and he went back into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas into, Der- into Derby. So he left Elystra. And, so, and when he had preached the gospel in that city, Paul said, you may have stoned me and, and he said, you may have hurt me and wounded me, but God's healed me. But I'm not going to stop doing what I know to do. I'm not going to be deterred from what God's called me to do. I'm going to continue. So he went to Derby and he preached the gospel in that city and made what? Many, many disciples. But I love this. And then Paul said, I'm going to go right back into the lion's den. I'm going to go right back where they, where they said they're going to kill me if I come back through the gate. Paul said, I'm going to go back. Why? Because the people inside that city need the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul felt emboldened, and he went back to those three cities, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Look what he did. He strengthened the souls of the disciples. He strengthened them. King James would say, confirm the souls of the disciples. Exhorting them to do what? To go ahead and play church. Go ahead and come out to our picnics and our ice cream socials. Go ahead and come out to our fall festivals and our Christmas celebrations. You know, is that what he said? No, he exhorted them to do what? To continue in the... Don't give up. Don't give up, he said. Because through many tribulations, we must enter into the kingdom of God. Don't forget that. We'll close perhaps with that in just a moment. Let's read the next couple verses if we can. And so when they had, look what else they did. So they appointed elders in every church, and they prayed with fasting, and they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And the 24th verse together with us, or did I give you just through 23rd? The 24th verse. But that's all right, I'm going to move on. Do you all get the gist of the picture real quickly? Paul was not going to allow the opposition to silence his voice because the people needed to hear the truth. I'm afraid that we're afraid in the Christian community today. We're afraid of being blackballed. We're afraid of losing our social identity. We're afraid of being labeled one of those uh, far right-wingers. What I'm talking about today hadn't got anything to do with the Republican Party. It's got nothing to do. It's got everything to do with what the truth of the Word of God says. Let me tell you today, the Democratic Party is not the problem, and the Republican Party is not the solution. The, the, the problem is sin and the deceitfulness of an enemy that has been deceiving men and women since the Garden of Eden. And the only answer is the truth of the Word of God and the powerful preaching and the anointing of God that can pierce the heart and the mind of the listening audience. And I grieve. I want to say this today. I am not a critical person. I don't live my life judging other people. But I grieve when every church, that so many of the churches that you go to today, there's no word being preached. There's no anointing present. You get your coffee and your cookie in the foyer and that's all church is about it's about playing uh, around uh, at a dark time in our in, in, in our existence and I believe that God is challenging men and women to shake all that off 
and say, I don't want to have a form of godliness. I want to walk in godliness. I don't want to just look like somebody that has the truth. I want to possess the truth in love. Now, I recognize today we need the anointing of God on our lives. And look at the 12th verse, because this is the verse, and I don't know if time will let me finish. Let's go back to 2 Timothy, Angie, if you will. This is the verse that I know every one of you want to tear out of your Bibles. We want to pretend this belongs to some other people group, but not us. See, this is the thing that I've had, the issue that I've had with the teachings on the last days that you've heard about for so many years. The teachings on the last days in most of our Pentecostal churches have created the mindset that the only persecution that could even potentially happen right here on our North American shores will happen in the great tribulation after the rapture of the church. So we're just going to continue to play around until suddenly God will snatch us out and we won't be persecuted because we're so much more godly and holy and we're more deserving than any of these other far-fledging nations around the world. But I came along to tell you today that that's misplaced theology because the apostle said if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. And I know we'd like to blot it out of our Bible, but I want you to know today this, there is a target on you. But I want you to know that if you've got the anointing of God on your life, you're not afraid to be who God's called you to be. So what if we suffer the loss of some things? So what? We can't take it with us in the first place. Listen, I believe in prosperity, but I don't believe in being termed prosperous based upon whether or not I've got a big house and a new car. I believe prospering in the spirit. Yes, I believe God prospers us financially. Yes, I believe all those things. I never pray a curse upon you. I never pray uh, pray the curse of poverty upon me, my family, or my children. But I don't want my value to be determined by whether or not I got any money in a bank account. I want my value to be determined based upon the, the measure of godliness that God has committed unto me and what I'm doing with it in my generation. And I want to challenge you today. This verse of Scripture says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Let's go. I got just a little bit farther. And I think I can, I can wrap this up today. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. I'm sorry, but it ain't getting no better. I know that's not good English. I was back out on the Wilburn campus this past week where I learned this great English that I have right here in front of you today. But the Bible says it's not getting any better. I'm not saying our influence won't make a difference. It will make a difference. But I'm, what I'm saying is, there's always going to be evil men and women among us. And yet they're deceiving, but here's the reality. They too have been deceived. That's why we don't know no man after the flesh. That's why we don't fight with them. That's why we don't draw our sword of jihad against them. That's why we pray for them. And that's why we choose to love them. Love is our weapon. Yeah, we speak the truth, but we do so in love. We're not trying to drive you away from God. We're trying to expose to a lost and dying world the need to repent before God and to cry out and to receive His divine grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's what compels us, doesn't it? That's what we want for our neighbors. That's what we want for our city council members. That's what we want for our mayor, our police officers, our governors, and for our president and for our Senate, and for our Congress, and for our common person that we work with every day, we want them to know Jesus the way that we know Jesus. Because here's the reality. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We had all sinned. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of life is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's the gift of God. We have it, and we want to give it away. 
As I close here with this, I close in this context. Because i got to close, and the guys share this with you in closing. Maybe I'll pick it up. I'll be back with the men on the other side on Wednesday, and we'll be right back here. He said, they're gonna, he said, but look at this, the 14th verse. Keep playing church, he said. Oh, just keep coming to your social parties. Just keep coming. He said, no, continue thou in the things that you have learned. Isn't that what it says? Continue in the things that you have learned. And you've been what? And you have been assured of. Knowing from whom you have learned them. Roll that 15th verse. Put this together real quick. And that from childhood you have known the what? What is it right here? This is where it all comes back down to right here. This is why you got to know the word of God. Because you'll never be the man or the woman that God's called you to be if you're ignorant of the truths of the word of God. Because every day we have conflicting worldviews that are taking place. Conflicting worldviews take place in college classrooms. Conflicting worldviews take place in our Senate and in our Congress. Conflicting worldviews take place at your factory. Conflicting worldviews take place at the break room when you're talking with your fellow uh, worker at work. What is the conflicting worldview? A worldview says this about God, this about man, and you have a worldview that's based entirely upon the truth of the Word of God. So let me give you an example of this. So we have those that are atheists who don't believe in God. So my conflicting worldview is this. First of all, here's what my Bible talks about you. Yes, that's the first thing I would tell an atheist. My Bible talks about you because the Bible says only the fool says in his heart there is no God. Did you hear that? Only a a fool looks at the beauty of creation and says there's no creator. The wonder and the majesty of this creation that's flawed by sin, yes, flawed by sin, but it itself groans and travails. The earth is a living entity, and it's crying out, waiting for the day when the heavens part and my Jesus comes in redemptive glory to restore it back to its original creation. Conflicting worldview is when the atheist says there is no God, but you say, I believe in God. The invisible God who sits in the heavens, but his glory is made known. I believe in that God. Conflicting viewpoints take place. Worldviews. Here's my closing point. What are you basing your view on? How do you live your life? Who's influencing your thought process? I'm talking to every person here today. Do you know the scriptures? Because that's what Paul said That if you're going to be able to sustain, survive, and actually influence the difficult, perilous times that Paul is writing about, you're going to have to know. What are you going to have to know? The Holy Scriptures. Isn't it time for you to grow in in your knowledge of the Word of God? Isn't it? How long? How long are we going to let ignorance be our excuse? How long are we going to say, well, I'll try to read it, but I can't. I don't want to hear that. You can read it and you can understand it. You can hide it in your heart and it'll teach you not to sin against God. You can meditate on it. You can pray about it. You can read and get it deep inside you and then you can speak it over your family, your children, and your children's children. Let me tell you about what the Word of God is. The Word of God is God's voice spoken, been captured on page. And we get the privileged opportunity to read it, meditate, and ponder it. 
It's just as living as the God who spoke it. If you say within yourself, oh, I know God is alive and he's all-powerful, well, so is that word. Oh, I'm going to preach. Y'all didn't catch it yet. I'm telling you, if you know in your heart that God can do anything, God is living, all life flows from him. Well, when I read John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that all things that we see and feel and live amongst in the earth that is tangible and that is natural from the stars in the celestial unto the ground under our feet came into existence when out of nothing God spoke the Word of God and called things out of nothing and made them what they are today. And that God works through the power of His Word. And we know the Holy Scriptures. And they embolden us in faith. And they shape us into the people that we are today. And yes, we are a distinct people. Yes, we're a peculiar people. We can dance when others cry. Come on, somebody. We have joy when others are bound in darkness and in despair because we always have hope. Because as Paul said, I went through many tribulations and I went through many persecutions. But he said, this but out of them all the Lord delivered me and Paul's God is my God and he's your God as well if we'll believe in Jesus name and so today as I close this message what's on my heart is to tell you I believe there's a correlation between the times that Paul was writing about and the times in which we live in right now I don't know if we're the last or what they call the terminal generation I can't say that I don't know I'm not the person to stand up here and say, yes, we're the terminal generation. We're the last generation. I don't know. Will, I've got four grandchildren. Will they be able to be and do what I'm doing one day? I don't know. Maybe they will. But I know one thing, that they're still going to be living in dangerous times. And they're still going to need the anointing of God upon their life. And they're still going to have to know the Word of God and be assured of it to the degree that you're unashamed. Make fun of me, I don't care. Call me an ignorant hillbilly. Call me, I don't care. I sold myself out a long time ago. I know the truth of the Word of God. I don't have to defend God. Some people think they have to. I don't have to defend God. He needs no defense. I just hold forth the truth of the Word of God in Jesus' name. And I challenge you in Jesus' name. It's time for you to stop playing around with God. Man, get in these discipleship groups as they come. Get involved. Sharpen yourself. Who's influencing you? Take inventory of your life. Know what you believe and know why you believe it. And be willing to speak up and to speak the truth in love. Maybe somebody around you is just waiting for you to point them in the right direction. Maybe somebody, listen, you can be, you can be radical without being irrational. Right, you can be bold without being boisterous. Come on, somebody, you can. you can. You can have a passion for the things of God and still have a passion for people. You can. But it all starts with us getting this deep inside of us and letting God shape us into the people. At the end of the day, Paul wrapped that passage up in the 17th verse, and he said, this will cause you to be a man of God. Listen to what he said, thoroughly Furnish, 17th verse, unto every good work. You want to serve and be involved in call? Then you got to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God because then you'll have a conviction that you live out in that ministry. You want to be involved at whatever level? It starts with you opening your heart up and being responsive to God and listening to His Holy Spirit. Is, is Daryl here? Are, are you coming back with me today if you would in closing? 
I want to close this message, and I want to ask our church family, would you stand up with me, please? I know it's right afternoon. I don't apologize. I want you to hear the word of God. This passage, I love this passage. My son, Anthony, let me just, I was going to do this Wednesday night. Let me just throw this out just real quickly because it will help you here today. This will help you. The prophetic that was among us with Pastor Andre, you're thinking I'm deterring way off, but I'm going to bring it back on. My son Anthony is really growing in his faith and in the Word of God, and he, and he contacts me, and he'll send me, he asked me this week, he thought I was at church, I wasn't at church that particular moment, and he wanted me to pose it to Jojo and these other guys, if you could only, if you were on an island and you could only take one book of the Bible with you, which one would it be? I don't know how do you answer that kind of question, I mean, that's not really a deep theological question, so, and uh, so I contemplated that for just a moment, and I sent him my answer, but that's just a little leftover residue of the depth of he and I's conversation, I get theological questions constantly because he's reading, he's studying, he's just at this new place. But here's why I want to mention just real quickly, and I'm going to wrap this back around, is that I was sitting in your driveway, Jojo, probably the first or the second time Pastor Andre was with us, and we had come by your house, the blue house, the first house, for some reason, you and Ann's. And I don't remember why, maybe Scott was in or something, we were there for just a short period of time, and we were in the car, Pastor Andre this, this is where prophecy, you want to learn more about prophecy, then come to church on Wednesday nights. But pastor, you don't know that I'm watching Law and Grace. I don't even know what that is, but I'm just throwing that out there. It's good, though, right there. I, was, I don't care. DVR it if you have to. Come. You've got to get this inside you. You've got to get it inside you. And I'm going to teach you about the prophetic. That's what we're studying right now. That's what the purple book is. The purple book right now is on the gifts of the Spirit. You want to know about the gifts of the Spirit? Well, then come and talk to people, and we'll, we'll teach you about the gifts of the Spirit. And the, the, the spirit of prophecy is not always this. Yea, thus saith the Lord, I see that thou hast, and this and thus and that. Andre was in this seat, and I'm in this seat, and he said this. He said, Lee, my kids were there that night with us. We over at Joe and Ann's for just a little bit. He said, Lee, he said, I can see that you're, he said that, that, that you're a little bit more concerned about one of your children. He said, and the Lord wants you to know that that one's going to be just fine. And immediately I said, Brother Andre, I received that because I know who the Lord's speaking to me about right there immediately. And it was my son, Anthony. And the reason why I'm saying that is it's probably because this, this, this year he'll probably read as many as 30 books on theology or study. His heart is just getting everything in. And I'm not trying to like brag and say, I'm just saying this right here in this context. I could be assured of a prophetic word because I was assured of the written word. I could, be, I could receive that prophetic word because it was in harmony with the word that I'd spoken over my children from the day that they were born. And so I could see God was just reigning on what he had already promised. You've got to know what you believe. So our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. It's a mark of discipleship. It's growing in the knowledge of God. It's being aware of the perilous and the dangerous times that we live in, but not running from it. Not hiding, not going off into uh, the wilderness somewhere because we're afraid to confront the darkness. God's not called you to do that. God's called you to live your life every day with clear conviction, to walk under the anointing, and to be as bold and as bright witness wherever you go.